Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. Let's go faster. Welcome to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners. Ready, we're the podcast for the everyday iRacer, looking at iRacing from a hobbyist point of view, making you happier, wiser, and faster. Last week, we had a big old panel show, but this week, I'm focusing in on our expert driver, Brad Philpot. How's it going, Brad? It's going really well. How are you, Spanners? I'm, I'm all right. He lied. No, it's fine. I'm just not getting enough iRacing time in. And then what I'm doing is I'm finding myself getting too emotionally invested on uh, on one particular race. And then if that doesn't go wrong, if that goes wrong like it did last night, I'm, I'm suddenly like I'm devastated. I'm like, oh, no, now I've got to wait another day. Well, I've had an enforced couple of week absence, as I was just explaining to you before the start of the show, because I've had a cable not working and it's a special cable that had to be ordered from America, um, but it just arrived five minutes before we went live. So I'm looking forward to getting back onto the horse. Oh, no, it's, it's annoying when you get like a new toy come through and then you can't immediately, can't immediately play with it. So you've been without your VR for two weeks. Yeah, although I've been able to practice because I could risk it cutting out during practice, but I've not been able to do any official races or anything that mattered for the last couple of weeks just because I couldn't risk the screen turning off in the middle of an official race like it did um, at Zolder. Oh, yeah. Well, I've, um, I've, I've had those kind of faults, and I had uh, my Oculus Rift S um, completely go black during a race. Now, there it was just a simple setting where... I had chosen quality over performance because I'm like, I've got a pretty good system. I'll crank up the settings. Uh, but really, you should pick performance if you've got any issues for it to be uh, steady. Uh, of course, it was during the middle of a race that, uh, that I found out about this and it just fully blacked out for like a second or two. And then I I kind of had to just guess and go, all right, I guess this, it was kind of going to the right. And then when it came back, I was obviously off the track and in the in the barriers. Was it similar to you? Yeah, I had a very, very similar problem to that, but it was actually a, a physical hardware problem, unfortunately. I think it's just a common fault with um, with this particular headset. I use a Valve Index VR system, um, and I was getting some kind of sparkly pixels occasionally where you just see some faint kind of white sparkles and then a couple of audio cutouts and then occasionally a black screen. And I read into it, and it seems like that's a common cable fault 
So unfortunately, I had to get a new one. Um, I'll tell you about the brake failure I had last night. Okay. Horrifying, horrifying nightmare scenario where I was uh, racing at Okiyama. And like I said, I'd, I'd waited all day. I'd, uh, I'd done my, my day's shift. Wife does not approve of brakes during the day. So I didn't do any during the day I racing. And then I got to the evening, did my full four hours of like parenting while wife did her shift. Looking forward to this one nine fifteen race. Uh, I qualify fourth, quickly get up to third. The win is on the cards. And you know, I've not won any kind of iRace or karting event or anything for probably a couple of years now, like at any level. Um, so I think I might be cursed, like a Hulkenberg curse. I started noticing that when I was pressing the brakes, the actual whole brake, uh, you know, the whole pad, the whole brake unit was lifting up as I was hitting the brakes just a little bit. So I was having to increase the amount of braking. Then eventually the strap that was holding it down to to the play seat just slipped off the end, tried to press the brake at the end of the long straight. The whole thing flipped forward and I crashed into the wall. Absolute heartbreak. But as someone said to me in the Slack group, they said, um, oh, a DNF, a mechanical failure. That's like real racing. And I had to just take it on the chin. Yeah. So that is exactly how you have to view those kind of things. Um, You have... You won't get a puncture because iRacing doesn't model punctures, but you get other problems like <laughs> your computer randomly installing an update or your pedals just detaching themselves from your rig. Or I'm going to sound like a bit of an equipment snob here, Spanners, but I think the problem here really is that your pedals are now at a, a higher quality level to the rest of your rig. So you've got pedals which are really designed to be mounted solidly to something very firm, which can't move. And you're having to effectively budget a bit to, um, to make those particular pedals work. So I didn't notice it in the before time. And, and this is all your fault, by the way. All of this is your fault, the, the increasing war on equipment. I, I would have been very happy just playing with my, my little Logitech G27 or whatever it is when I first, um, when I first tried your rig. And I remember I brought what I was, my rig around, which was that uh, barely any force feedback. I was playing on 27 frames a second on my laptop screen. I was very happy, Brad, till I saw all your stuff. Uh, but it's the load cell pedals. It has made the difference now because of the amount of pressure you have to put on it. It suddenly puts a strain on the whole system. Now, what you've got is like the dream. You've got like a whole proper, it looks almost like a cargo container rig and it's like solid. Everything is solid. Yes, exactly. And I've even gone further than standard and made sure that my my pedal plate, which is already extremely thick steel, I think, um, it is positioned in a way that there's no leverage on the end of it that could even make it bend a fraction of a millimeter. So yeah, I've really gone uh, the whole hog and tried to make everything as rigid as possible with this aluminium rig I've got from Track Racer. <laughs> oh, hello, you've slipped a plug in there. It, it was free, so I have to take the opportunity to mention who it was from every time I get the chance. Uh, okay, fair enough. Um, oh, I'd love to be in that position. Surely someone can send me some some kit. I couldn't even get... When our, my other play seat died, I know this is a bit of equipment chat, but if anyone's familiar with the play seat, it's basically... Um, a, it's like a deck chair. It, it's, they're really good. I think they're really good. Like if you are using a desk clamp and just pedals attached to the floor, the play seat just changes everything because you suddenly go in a racing seating position and it, and it's relatively firm not compared to yours uh but i did have one that i bought second hand and the back seat just completely bent and caved in till eventually my back was lying on the floor i tried to fix it all with cable ties but yeah i tried to get um anyone to send me a free play seat but i obviously i don't have your draw brad so i i have to point out i have i feel like i've earned my really nice <laughs> rig now because i've gone through all the stages that your 
going through and have been through from you know, from the most basic, not even knowing anything about the computer. So my computer wasn't up to running even a single small screen, mm. had a, you know, a desk clamp, the Logitech G25 went through all the potentiometers, um, oxidizing and, you know, and never getting full throttle and all, all the problems you have with the kind of lower end equipment. And then I have literally gradually step by step improved everything. And I kind of feel like my iRacing skill has, has been increasing along with it in mm. sync. I don't feel like I've particularly had equipment that was too good for how good I was like me and the equipment have improved together so I feel like I'm at the right stage for the equipment I've got Mm, and me with equipment where occasionally the brakes flip over maybe that is just correct for my skill level right now Uh, so I'm going to spend after after this show I'm going to spend an hour or so just like I'm going to tie wrap it to within an inch of its life so I've I've got a thick packet of tie wraps I'm going to do that and use the straps on top of it uh, but it was, it's one of those things. I set it up and it worked. And then I just have not noticed that it's been slipping backwards, steadily backwards, 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 till eventually it just came off. Um, so it's this, someone asked, some, someone emailed to ask me what pedals they were. It's the CSL Elite with the load cell adapter on there. So the braking pressure I have now, because I've gone back to the 95 toughness rings, which is the hardest stiffness, that's probably what accelerated it failing. But yeah, you need a you need a rig to get around it. But it's 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 going to be worth it because just having that real firm braking to lean on, I've I've just been I've just been gaining lap time over the last few weeks. So you you also mentioned a key piece of equipment for any budding sim racer, which is a packet of cable ties. Yeah, <laughs> um, I currently have several packets of cable ties sat right behind me here, along with three M sticky pads and duct tape and cable protector, all sorts of cable management. And I actually spent about an hour and a half yesterday re-managing my cables to make them even prettier and even neater and um, and make it all look a bit more tidy. Yeah, well, I'd settle for a bit of extra lap time. Uh, so I was um, I was in our iRacing uh, Slack channel and they were talking about something similar to my, my disaster at Okayama, which is how do you just mentally deal with a race when you just get tough luck like that and someone i think it was Stu, shared a video where he was he was racing at monza going really well in a gt race and somebody reversed back on track for a rejoin and just fully shut the door in front of him it was like it was mario kart and it was one of those bowser moving blocks and it just went there's nothing he could have done and that was him out of the race and i even gave him the advice there i said what i've been trying to do is don't just invest in one race You've got to invest in a series of races. But then when I had my brake failure yesterday, I I was not brave about it, Brad. I went in the house. I sort of slammed the door a bit and she was like, are you okay? I went, no, no, I'm not okay. Now I've got to wait a whole other day before I can try again. So I think having done real life racing and gone through all the effort and financial strain that that, that kind of um, brings upon you, I think it gives you a bit more of a, perspective when it comes to things going wrong in the sim racing world because for example when something breaks which is completely out of your control in the same way that your brakes i mean i guess they were kind of in your control but not in that immediate moment it wasn't something that you intended to just go wrong like that generally it will either cost you loads of money or it will have wasted (laughs) you a load of money in the real world so at snetterton in 2020 i I was racing a lotus elise and i was um, gaining on the leader and the way the strategy was going to pan out, I would have hopefully won the race by quite some way. I was quite happy. Everything was good. I put a lot of effort into preparing oh. for the weekend. 
and my engine just disconnected from the car and started <laughs> smashing into the firewall behind me um, just as I was about to overtake the leader. Um, and that, I mean, it's not the fact that fortunately, you know, it's a sponsored race. I didn't personally lose any money from it, but it, I had to get up early. I had to drive all the way to Snetterton from my house. I had to go through all the effort of, you know, going to the driver's briefing, all this stuff. And it's one race every other month or something like that. Whereas with iRacing, it's a little bit more, you know, you said you can race again tomorrow and you haven't had to travel more than walking down to the shed. So it's it's a little bit easier to put it into perspective um, when you've had the, the kind of real world versions of that happen to you, I think. But I also, having said all that, mm. <laughs> react exactly the same as you and get really miserable for hours after something bad goes, uh, something bad happens. Fine, you had to go all the way to Snetterton, but I will slightly compare it in that as a 40-year-old working dad, like I have to use spousal credits. When she knows I'm going to the shed not to earn the family any money, just to go eye racing, there's a there's a different attitude <laughs> towards it, and I'm like, oh, I've got to enjoy it. Uh, but even in eye racing now, if you get a bad beat or a net code or something like that, yes, you've got to to find a way to deal with it. But it's unavoidable that it just it just stings, doesn't it? Especially if you know, like I've probably lost a hundred eye rating from that because I was the sixth seed in my split. Uh, I haven't even looked. I haven't even dared look. But it is it's a big part of your quote unquote i racing career to be able to dust off and just and go back again yeah so the way i look at this is the bad things happen and sometimes despite all your best efforts a, a real world mechanical failure like that happens or a software problem happens or someone reverses into you like the example you used sometimes these things happen and the way i get around this mentally is making sure all the things that are under my control i've dealt with I've gone through the process of, you know, making sure I've selected fast repair whilst I'm sat on the grid or whatever, <laughs> making sure those things are all clicked. Uh, you know, I'm not going to fill up with fuel if I do have to come in. And all the other races I do in that one month period, I make sure that I don't screw them up and and look at the average over a long period of time. And I'll say, for example, I think this year I've won like, and this isn't just a flex. This is just like to illustrate the point. I think I've won 70% of the races I've entered. So if I have a couple of bad ones, all I have to think is it's okay, because if things are normal and I don't get these random failures, 70% of the time in this particular series, I'm going to get the points I need to continue moving forward. So it's a blip, but the the trend is that you will continue doing well. That's the way I look yeah. at it. And hopefully hopefully people have enough good luck that, that they can do that as well. I think that's, that is key is did you fail because you did something wrong or was it just an inexplicable thing that happens because, you know, just of bad luck or because you're doing the F3 officials and it's carnage. So the, the break thing you go, okay, yes, it was down to me. I was responsible, but I didn't do anything bad. I didn't do any bad racing and still take the positives that I got a good qualifying position, which I never normally do. <laughs> And that I started the race well, survived lap one. Um, so there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about today. And, and this all came from this, this same conversation with, with Stu. A lot of us gentlemen racers, you know, who are not, not at your pace, maybe we've only won 69% of all our races this year. Uh, we realized that a lot of us do not attack on lap one because we are, we're way invested in in the individual races. All we're trying to do is survive on lap one. So I think I wanted to talk to you a little bit about lap one. I know the plan for you generally is qualify pole, disappear. But for us mortals, you, you must know, you must remember what it's like to occasionally start in the middle of a grid. Uh, it's 
it's a very different racing experience. We tend to concentrate on lap time. We concentrate on overtakes. We don't really think too much in our little society about lap one strategy. Do, do you have a particular approach or anything that you think can help me do more than just survive? Yeah, so I have to point out, I also have exactly the same mindset as you've just highlighted there when I do find myself in the middle of the pack. And I'm not always qualifying on pole and driving off. It purely depends on how hard the race is that I've entered. Tonight, for example, I'm racing in this VCO ProSim series. Oh, right, yes. Although I'm not starting the race myself, it, it mm. alternates between you and your teammate each round. I did start the last race at Snetterton, and because of my own qualifying performance, I was somewhere in the middle of the pack. And I had this exact same situation where... I'm thinking about survival for the first lap. And I very, very nearly didn't. And despite all my best efforts of just not making a mistake, not crashing into the person in front, not breaking too early and being too nervous and letting the person behind crash into me, other people's accidents around me and their own um, mistakes and and spins and things nearly wiped me out on lap one. Um, And so I don't know whether there is really a way around this other than just, again, controlling the things you can control, not doing the silly things I just mentioned. So, you know, just not breaking crazy early and inviting rear contact but also not overstretching and trying to make up a load of places at turn one because it's tempting to do that just being aware giving everyone space and making sure you're driving within the amount of grip that you're going to have on cold tires at the start of the race because that's another thing in certain cars very easy to spin on the first few corners until the tire temperature's up so that's the way i would do it try and control what you can control Uh, i've taken to in the practice sessions because particularly in formula three the tyres routinely take three laps before you've got full grip. I'd so, say more. more. Uh, in, well, I don't know how much of this is fuel related, but when I do the VCO ProSim practice in the F3, like I did last night, I'm still getting quicker lap times right up until the fuel runs out. So it seems to get faster and faster all the way. But maybe, yeah, four or five laps until you've got decent mechanical grip. Right. So that's the difference. When I talk about the tyres being switched on, I'm talking about like survivable, where you don't have to be constantly thinking about it disappearing. Maybe maybe three laps. So what I've taken to doing in the practice sessions is straight out of the pit lane, I just push straight on it and treat it like a, a race lap. So, you know, that I've found that reasonably useful, even though it's led to more accidents. I go, oh, okay, remember that. If you get too early on the power out of that exit on cold tyres, you, you're going to lose it. Yeah. Uh, And also trying to do that whilst not overheating them because it actually very quickly flips the other way. And just because you've got a bit of extra heat in, it's not necessarily good if you've got the heat in by doing a spike of temperature where you've spun the rear wheels for too long. And then you've got the opposite problem and it's really hard because you've got cold fronts and hot rears. Cold fronts and hot rears. How have I done that? How have I made that happen? So if you, if you've, um, tried too hard to push on the cold tires and you've ended up spinning the rear wheels quite a lot oh right you yeah. can quite easily get into the cycle where your fronts are still way too cold and your rears are now way too hot and so you've got kind of horrible understeer on the way in but then the rear starts to overtake <laughs> you and you perpetuate this cycle of overheating the rear oh, so right van jean our friend alex van jean was complaining in the okiyama practice that we put on with the swarm. If you want to join the swarm, email us spannersready at gmail.com. Uh, he was complaining of understeer and oversteer, and I didn't know what he was talking about. So he must have been getting understeer maybe from his cold tyres because you couldn't get the turn in. And then as he tries to get on the power, because he's very aggressive on the power, he was then losing the rear as well. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. If you're, if you're not careful about it, you've got to be able to push hard enough to, as you say, get the temperature in as early as you can within those three laps or so. So it's drivable and survivable but not do that by 
being too aggressive with your throttle application and spinning the wheels on the exits. You need to kind of um, naturally bring the tires up to temperature without sliding around too much. Mm. Uh, I do want to go back to the, the VCO. So I've just put a pin in that because I'm, I'm, I like watching those um, because you're in them, Brad, not just because of Roman Grosjean and Max Verstappen. It's mostly to watch Philpot and see how they get on. And you've got your little VCO badge there as well. Um, apologies to anyone who tried to catch us on the live stream, by the way. I, I think my daytime internet just isn't going to handle it because all the, the school kiddies are, are uploading and doing all their online classes at the moment. But I will try and put some kind of video version up for, for you guys to enjoy. If you could go ahead and, and tell people about it and share a link as well. In the show notes to your podcast app, there will be a link that you can go and share on your social media. All our projects are guerrilla projects, you know, guerrilla warfare, listener by listener. So don't think that because you've only got two followers, it won't have an effect. It, it really, really does. Um, yes, yeah, so I want to talk about the VCO in a second. But while we're on surviving lap one, I was chatting to one of our, our swarm members and we realized that we both do this same thing. So when you're approaching the first corner, obviously you want to make sure you don't hit the car in front, but there's a very real danger to the car in the rear. So what I've taken to doing, and this may horrify you, but I'm not alone apparently, is as we approach the braking zone, I'm giving it a big lift to give myself a, a bit of a gap to the car in front, which I found I can always make up in the braking zone because there's a concertina in front of him. But what I think it does do is it says to the car behind, oh, something's happening. So my hope is the car behind goes, oh, he's slowing down. What's going on? And then by the time he's figured that out, I'm on the brakes and I've, I've disappeared <laughs> into the braking zone. So that's been my kind of survival tactic because I found that early on I just kept getting rear-ended and I wondered if I was causing causing that. I think that's quite a sensible tactic, if I'm honest. You're just slowing everything down that little bit earlier. Bit, and as yeah. you say, you're going to make it up in the braking zone anyway because you're going to have to over-brake because of this concertina effect anyway. So if you want to get a bit closer to the car in front once everything's a bit more under control and everyone's slowed down a bit, you can just release the brakes a bit and, and catch them up a bit. Yes. Um, I think... This is something which is probably less necessary in a really experienced field of very high quality guys, um, because you'd probably be able to trust everyone's breaking point and you wouldn't have to give them quite so much of this prior warning that we're coming up to a corner, we're all going to slow down <laughs> now by lifting off early. And you could also argue that by lifting off early, you are actually putting yourself closer to the guy behind before you break, because hmm. they're going to just catch you that little bit as you lift. But I think as a general rule, this probably is quite a sensible tactic. Um, another one would be making sure you've got an escape route if you can. So say you're on the left approaching a right-hander, making sure that you've got some room off to the left that you can kind of escape to that might be a longer way around, but won't involve hitting the car in front if something goes wrong. Um, generally, I like to be tucked up on the inside, actually, approaching the first corner because people tend to spin and lose control away from the inside to the outside. So it quite often clears you a space if something bad happens. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that option, if you've qualified on on the outside of the grid, for example, and you can't get to the inside, having some room to move into, should it all kick off at turn one is normally quite good as well. So I've noticed on the inside, because I've done both of these, I found myself like literally hugging the outside just to try and stay as out of trouble as possible. But if you stay on the inside and you you are really narrow on entry... I do tend to find that other people don't want that line. So the chances of somebody actually punting you are lower, but you might end up with someone alongside you. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that, that's a tactic uh, just for survival. And we are sort of concentrating on survival 
because that is a real big pinch point. There's nothing quite like losing it in turn one or making that contact in turn one and just going, oh, all that build up. And, and it's done in a few seconds. To use uh, a biological term, I guess it would be, um, um, have you heard of a murmuration of birds where you see thousands of birds in the sky all kind of moving around in sync and each one's responding to the movements of the other one. And it looks like it's yeah. this big um, kind of... Uh, Con- consistent mass that's all moving as one it's a bit like that as you approach turn one your responses and your actions have to be dictated to some degree by what the cars around you are doing and and your best made plans um have to be adaptable depending on what the other cars are doing if you've done this very sensible early lift and you've given yourself space and the car behind looks like they are steaming out of control towards you with their brakes locked up then you need to adapt to that and maybe come off the brakes and get out of the way, even though you shouldn't have to, just to try and survive. Uh, and if the car next to you jinxed to the side, maybe they haven't seen you, you need to take that into account and try and live to fight another day and, and also give them some room. So that's definitely also a big part of it, moving in real time with everyone else. And, and this is just us talking about survival. You know, this isn't even trying to make up the three or four places. I've, and I have to say, I've never had that mentality I just want to get through so that I can start enjoying my race. And I almost think about the race starting actually at turn two, turn three. Once you're in a little bit not four wide and you're in a train and you go, okay, for me, the race starts there. I made it. I survived to get that far. But is there stuff I should be doing in that in that run down to turn one, turn two, where I can really gain on people? So now let's assume that I have infinite races I'm not going to be so emotionally invested in each result and it's not going to be the end of the world if I do lose a wing in turn one in a couple of races. What what am I going to do to go forward and start attacking? Maybe even be one of those cars that everyone is worrying about. And uh, and I think we'll extend that from lap one into general racecraft as well, because as you once said to me, as I came off a cart track, you said, you've got pace but you've got zero racecraft. And you didn't say it in a kind way. You said it in, you, you were laughing. You were laughing about my lack of racecraft. So that's what I want to work on. So help me, help me go forward on lap one. Uh, do I need to be ultra aggressive? Do I need to be smart? What does it take to make up places? I think smart is the key word there. You need to be extremely observant of what's happening to the other cars ahead of you. And, and I guess beside you and behind you, but if we're talking about moving forward, in particular, the cars ahead, and work out by their positioning what is going to happen to them a couple of seconds in the future. The car that has aggressively gone down the inside of the group of cars directly in front of you, do they look like they're about to force everyone wide and clear a path for you? Do you maybe want to just back off slightly earlier so you can get a slightly more advantageous apex and you know beat them to it whilst they all scuffle a bit wide and then you drive away from them on the exit? It's obviously extremely situation dependent. So each different start at each different track with all different first corners will will change my answer on this. But as a general rule, basically just being extremely observant, knowing what's likely to happen in advance. So whilst you're sat on the grid, you should have some idea of what generally happens at this track or a track like this with these competitors in these cars. Are they easy to lock the front wheels? Um, is the guy beside you on the grid generally really aggressive and goes for every move because that's going to impact how you treat that driver at the first corner. Um, Are there typically spins at the first corner of this track? Is it a pinch point? Did lots of cars all kind of get squeezed together? And based on those factors, 
you have to then put yourself in a position where you think you're going to kind of capitalize on that. Um, so it's, it's difficult to ha- give you one specific answer of you sure. know, always be on the inside, always break early <laughs> or something like that. Again, it really depends on what's happening in that race because even an identical um, grid position and type of car and track is going to completely change your your technique depending on who the drivers are there and who happens to have qualified around you. So basically being ready for anything, but making sure you're always under control as well. You don't ever want to be that one that is slightly out of shape having to collect the car and wandering across away from the racing line, for example. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to... What we're talking about is avoiding a bit of carnage as well, isn't it? And it's when you see a car suddenly sideways and you've got to guess, are they going to just let the car roll back? Are they going to be sensible and stay on the brakes? And I mean, that's an interesting topic in itself. I got into an argument with one of our swarmy people. And um, I think you'll side with, it was John M. And he's done a lot of race school stuff. And I think you're going to side with him. (laughs) So here was the situation. It was lap one into Lagos, Formula Renault 2.0. On the final turn, I got on the power a little bit too early and I spun. So now I'm facing backwards and there's a car in front of me and I'm nearly off to one side. So what I then did was I went, He's going to hit me straight on. I came off the brakes and I just steered off to the side and and drove myself, if you like. I let myself roll backwards off the track, which did help. The car that was facing me, it avoided me. Of course, one of our swarmers, John, was behind that car, had seen me spin and was taking a a route around me. Of course, I then cut off that route (laughs) by rolling backwards. So he ended up hitting me off the track. My justification was, well, I saw the car in front. And I saw he was going to hit me. So the wise thing to do was to lift off the brakes, get myself out of the way. And he was saying, no, always put your foot in and apply the brakes if you've spun off. I'm going to side with you, Spanners. Because again, it's situation dependent. If the car had come to a stop already, I would at that point say, whilst there are cars headed towards you who have already made a decision on which way they're going to go, don't then stick it in reverse and, and yeah, you know, yeah 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 I was moving it was all part. yeah it was all in if one it's movement all, if it's all happening I certainly would advocate especially if you were already near one side of the track I would keep rolling until I was fully out of the way because it's one thing for for that driver who ended up hitting you but in another situation had you stayed there the car behind him might not have seen you and you were then just sat in the middle of the track for no reason I'd say as much as possible get off the racing surface to to get yourself out of the uh, out of being the problem um, and if you've already got momentum backwards you know, i would be doing that and if i was in that other driver's position although it's difficult to say because i, I haven't seen yeah, his view course, yeah. and how sighted he was um but i would generally wait until i've got a very good idea what's happening to the spun car before I commit to one side or another. Yeah, he was Even unsighted. if that means slowing yeah. right down. But. He, he was completely unsighted, and I could see why he would be annoyed by that. But like, okay, so let's put it another way. You've got a little half spin, the, the which means that you are going to get swamped by people. Got a little half spin in the middle of the track on the exit of turn two. Generally, do you slam the brakes on? I know this is going to be car dependent. So let's say Formula 3, F3, Formula Renault 2.0. Do you slam the brakes on to try and just bring yourself to a halt? Do you get on the power to try and straighten her up? What do you do? This is another one where you need to react to what's happening around you. If you're backwards, for example, you can see the cars coming towards you. So you might be able to judge which way those other cars have committed. If there are already cars swarming, um, to use that word again, kind of both sides of you or committing to both sides of you, yes, I would stand on the brakes, get the thing stopped, hope for the best. You might lose a wheel or a wing or whatever. 
um, or get T-boned, but at least you are being predictable. And that's really the key as someone being lapped or someone losing control yeah. is to just be as predictable as you can. Don't don't give extra guesswork to the cars that are approaching you. If they see a stationary object, then generally they should have enough time to steer around that. If they see an object that's in the middle of the track with the pack approaching and it, you're not really sure how far across the track it's going to be when you get there, that's when it, you're making everyone's life difficult and different drivers are going to make different decisions. So the, reasons I, the reason I yeah. sided with you on the first example was it sounded like you were already near the edge of the track heading off the track. And I would say you're probably clearing a much easier, bigger space for everyone by letting them stay on the track and you going off on the grass. Whereas it sounds like the driver who ended up hitting you had kind of made an early decision to commit to the grass and was going to be quite a disadvantage anyway. So you were trying to avoid that. It's desperately unlucky. Like if I'd have stayed where I was and he'd have not decided to go to the grass, we could have had two cars steaming into me. Yeah. But we're difficult to say we're going into, we're going into that particular discussion, assuming that, the spinning car is looking out for the rest of the pack. And it's it's very easy to kind of spin and you go, oh, well, m- that's my race ruined anyway. Who cares? I'm just going to do myself uh, my best to to get back on. And that's when you get absolutely like ridiculous rejoins. You get guys moving across the track or lighting up their wheels like Roman Grosjean did, you know, in Formula One. When did, when did, what track was that? At? I can't remember. Barcelona. Was it Barcelona? Yeah spun his wheels up and ended up going across the track and taking out another two cars because you kind of go on this emotional tilt that you are, oh, my race is ruined, it doesn't matter. But I, I genuinely think that a lot of people in iRacing, when they spin, they are just trying to not then be a further nuisance. So that was quite a good exercise. In like, how can I be not a further nuisance by being as predictable as possible? Yeah, and that's exactly it. I think for most people, when they lose control it's it's enough of a job just to remember to brake rather than you know let the car go wherever it's going to go i've seen so many crashes in i racing and real life where people do way more damage to themselves just because they didn't brake you know they they lose control and they could easily just avoid all contact with the barriers and they just let the car roll until they hit the barriers and you're thinking why didn't you just put the brakes on and i think probably good advice is as a general rule if you're losing control certainly frequently get the thing stopped make sure you've got time to decide where to turn around or or drive back onto the track and you do it calmly observing where everyone else is and just trying to keep out of the way as best you can the temptation is to go no i can save this i can still salvage this that wasn't an off it doesn't count i can get back on whereas you go no it's an off get it stopped except that you're going to lose five to ten seconds uh, and then carry on a classic real world example of that was daniel kvia at suzuka in like 2015, 2016 at Degna 2, that absolutely massive crash where he went rolling end over end. And you could see he just touched the grass and then kept his foot in because he, and then just trying to fight it and saw at the wheel uh, to keep it going. So yeah, so a little bit of kind of not chasing uh, good money after bad. You know, when it's starting to go wrong, just go, okay, you made that mistake. Let's salvage what we can from from the race uh, in a sensible way. So we got there. Actually, by not being the spinning car, we got to this situation by being the car that's trying to avoid that carnage and get through. Uh, But there's so many situations out of like the early turns where you have that split second to decide, do I break to allow this situation in front of me to play itself out? Or do I boot it to go through the gap and, and make it everybody else's problem? And I think that's where someone like me struggles, whereas you instinctively, I think more often than not, you'd be like, that's an opportunity. Whereas for me, it's like, oh, danger. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It is super satisfying when you get it right, whichever one you do, whether you wait and then you think, I'm glad I waited because if I hadn't, that would have been an accident involving me. Or if you go for the gap and it and it pays off. Either one of those is quite satisfying, but you're right. It is kind of, it's a subconscious judgment most of the time um, that you're doing, uh, you're doing based on your previous experience without having to really think about it consciously. The thing you're consciously doing is making sure you've not put yourself in that position out of stupidity or carelessness. You know, you're consciously having this strategy at the beginning of surviving the first corner without losing too much time, you know, and also, as I mentioned earlier, losing too much time being too cautious actually can put you in an even worse position so you then become the one that gets hit by the guy behind so it's just getting that judgment right getting through those first corners and and then getting on with your race like you said and also i think in f3 when we stepped up to f3 it's that much more aggressive for whatever reason that class um that if you are not positive on lap one if you're not positive through those first corners you actually become unpredictable and people are looking around going what's he doing trying to avoid an accident and you become just like an extra problem. And so sometimes I'll get into the mindset of going, all right, you can't be too too scared, little bunny. You've got to be positive. You've got as much right to be there as anyone. Yeah, I think that's a, a good mindset. Just bear in mind there's no fast repair and oh, gosh. and you need to look after your front wing and your, and your wheels. I had the decision yesterday when I got to the end of the straight, the big back straight at Okiyama pressed my brake pedal, like I said, and it, it just flipped over and I went into the wall. I had no front wing, but actually the car seemed okay. And I had to do the maths in my head of, am I going to crawl around half a lap with no brake, effective brake pedal, and then get into the pits and then jump out of the rig, try and fix the brakes whilst I'm getting the repair and then go out. And I did the, a quick equation in my head, but I was like basically tantruming. So I went, no. And then I quit out, which is why I've probably lost a thousand I rating. 
I have been in that situation so many times. Just trying to quickly go uh, do the mental maths and think, oh no, I wish I was better at maths. I had a <laughs> uh, an accident where I was leading by a long way in a Formula Renault a couple of weeks ago. And I, I was live streaming, I was chatting to the live stream and I was saying, oh, there's a back marker ahead here. We've got to be really careful around the back markers in case they're unpredictable. Sure enough, the guy nailed the brakes in the middle of a flat out corner oh, and I just God. piled into the back of them from, from miles back, um, completely committed and destroyed the front end of my car. And I had a nice gap to P2 and I had to work out, okay, I'm going to lose X number of seconds per lap yeah. and I've got this many laps left. Can I just struggle on or should I just pit early, lose 40 seconds? And it, I, I worked out, that I think it was definitely better to stay out as long as I didn't then go off again because of the damage. And uh, I had to just suck up the five second lap time loss and that was the best outcome. And, and, that, but, yeah. and that kept you in second? I, no, I won by like two seconds, oh, but right. I, lost a, I lost a very big gap. Um, but yeah, it was the right decision, but my maths isn't that great. So it could have easily been the wrong one. That's where you need a spotter, like a full-time like crew chief. But you need to be a high-profile guy that races with the very best uh, iRacers and real-world drivers to do that. Oh, wait a minute. That is you, because you, as you mentioned, are going to be competing in this VCO tonight, uh, which means you can't swarm with us. I'll be there at the F3 with my tie wraps trying to make amends for yesterday, whereas you will be lining up on a grid with the likes of Max Verstappen, Roman Grosjean, and, and a bunch of real-world drivers. Who, who else is competing in that from the, the real world? Lots of people that most um, F1 fans certainly probably wouldn't have heard of, but they are all high-end um, GT drivers, touring car drivers, um, all sorts of single-seater drivers as well. Um, the ones that are younger than me are generally better on a sim as well because they've grown up with better <laughs> yes. sims and, and done it more. Um, so I have to struggle to beat them. But basically, yeah, you get paired up with a, a professional simulator driver um, and and then obviously you have the real world driver as well. There's 40 cars on track, so 80 drivers, 40 real world pros. So you have to be a licensed you know, FIA grade mm. driver um, and a sim driver that has picked you at the beginning of the season. But I came in as a last minute replacement, so I wasn't actually picked. Um, from the the kind of list of pros that the sim drivers got to choose from. Um, I was just drafted in to replace someone. I've stayed for the rest of the season. It's been really good fun. I've earned myself, I think, around £50 of prize money, which nice. I get paid at the end of the season. Um, and I'll try and get some more tonight. So you can say you can say to missus, you can say, hey, this is work. This is, I'm actually earning money here. Yeah, she, for some reason, does not no. buy that, nope. um, even okay. though it's true. <laughs> so where do you have to finish out of the 40 to get prize money? So top 20 will receive some prize money. I think the lowest amount you get is about £20 for finishing 20th. Um, but if you win, you get a 1000 But I think it's dollars, actually. It might even be euros. But it's a 1000 whatever the currency is, for winning. And then it's increments downwards from there. And then there's a big bonus for winning the championship as well. And we've it, generally been yeah. finishing around the, the bottom of the teens. So we've been getting kind of £20, £30 um, a race. Nice. Is it, it's on race spot, isn't it, that are broadcasting it? Yes, or more importantly, it's on my YouTube channel. Um, oh right, so yeah. that's yes. where you get so you get the real the real onboard. But yeah, race spot. Um, oh, actually, is it race? Yeah, I think it is. I think you're right. But it, certainly, like the VCO official coverage is is very public on YouTube. Yeah, and from I mean, I wasn't impressed. I'll be honest with the first broadcast, but they seem to have have picked it up and ironed out a lot of the issues that they had. Certainly, the last one I watched was quite a quite a slick quite a slick. Was it Interlagos last time out? Last, there was Interlagos. Last mm. one, I think, was Snetterton. Um, oh, right. I might be getting them the wrong way around. But yeah, it, it was a bit rubbish to begin with, the coverage. And I was the same as you. I was a bit disappointed because it was, it was built up. And um, they, they run the series very professionally, but the coverage did leave a little to be desired. 
Um, but it's much better now. Yeah. And they've kind yeah, of the like been watching yeah. some missed Apex. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I know. I was like, it's got them better gear. than that. And then it's like, oh, yeah, look, but with money and a really good team, you can just catch up and overtake quickly. Don't. Uh, but yeah, that's worth watching. And what I might do is I might have I might have you on the telly with uh, my phone having the race spot coverage and I can flick between the two. That's what I might yeah, do. Yeah, because I'll only get on the coverage if we're actually doing really well. And with the best will in the world, my sim driver who I'm paired with is one of the lower end, outside the top 30, I'd say, in terms of the sim drivers. And I'm probably a little bit closer to me inside the top 15 of 40 of the pro drivers. So we kind of even out to very midfield. Um, so I probably won't be on the main coverage very very much. Right. So, but when you said you qualified for the last event, where did you qualify amongst the, the main drivers? I think I qualified 12th. Oh, I that's think. all right. I can't, I can't remember very well. Um, I was certainly running well up. I was thinking I was just behind Grosjean battling for the top 10 in my stint. And then we kind of fell back down to about 18th by the end of, of my pro driver's stint. So are you surprised then with the quality of sim racing from the real world drivers? Funnily enough, after turn one, yes. Right. <laughs> turn one, there seems to be a lot of attrition for some reason. Um, but yeah, I am impressed actually. The good pro drivers, the good real world pro drivers, very much merge into the sim driver. So with my speed... I'm actually as quick as the kind of bottom end pro sim drivers. So I'm certainly not one of the best. Um, and I'll probably be half a second to a second off of the very best driver um, in the race. Route that far. But, but yeah, yeah, but then that is about as far off as, say, the 30th position professional sim driver is, something like that. So I did a practice with my pro sim driver last night. And I was a fraction quicker than him over a full race stint, like a couple of hundredths of a second. So we're super closely matched. Um, but I think going forward, hopefully I'll be I'll be put forward as a as a pick in the pro draft, and so <laughs> one of the one of maybe the slightly yeah. quicker sim drivers can choose me next time. Okay, so there is like an overlap between between the real world drivers and the and the sim drivers as well, and that's interesting. When you say pro sim drivers, are these guys actually making money, or is it like pro standard? You like. I think it's they do often make money like like this competition for example we are making a, a, a modest amount of money but the yeah it's pr- it's professional standard it's um guys that are good enough to go up against the best in the world or you know a, out of the top 50 or so in the world um and and yeah so I don't know quite how they get their place in the series I, they they're obviously chosen by VCO in some way uh, but you're right. There is a big overlap with the real world pros and the best real world pros are definitely better than the majority of of even very good sim drivers. Max Verstappen, for example, Sage Karam from IndyCar, this kind of guy, they can hold their own very easily in top split of the special events among the, the professional sim guys. And, and any time I've been on an iRacing practice session and you've seen a name you recognize, they're always blisteringly quick. You know, it's, I'd, I've never like popped on there and seen like, oh, Rubens Barrichello. That was a thrill, by the way. <laughs> Someone with the most Grand Prix starts ever, I think, at the time. And there, there he is in my lobby, just bombing around. I know him and his boy are very active in that ser- in the F- F3 series, or they certainly were last week. But they're always quick. The names you recognise, even from like GT driver, there's a couple of W series drivers in there as well. And they're always like mega fast. So yeah, it's um, I, I am thrilled and interested in how those skills cross over. And I, I wonder, I know there's always a big debate about about sim drivers then going into a real car and whether those skills translate as easily the other way. 
in the olden days, you just said maybe not so much, but I suppose as the sims get better, as the rigs get better, it becomes a better real-world training tool. Yeah, I, I agree. You've got someone like James Baldwin, and I don't know what his his prior to his sim driving experience was, whether he did any karting as a kid or anything, but for example, he won the world's fastest gamer and then immediately was an absolute front-runner pole position in British GT um, when he moved into that without a drive this year. But there is certainly some big um crossover the opposite direction as well but i don't think it's necessarily the case with everyone but then that's Mm. also the same with the real world pros not not everyone is any good just the ones that care about it and and put the effort in Uh, and there's also a physicality to it so you know if you are very unfit you might struggle more in that transition to go to do physical cars uh but jimmy broadbent arguably one of the one of the most famous sim racing streamers announced on his Twitter that he's got himself a drive in Brit car. And I would imagine that his reach and maybe any wealth that he's amassed from streaming would help. Um, but that will be interesting because he will bring a big internet following with him to Brit car. So I need to be careful about exactly how much I let on here, although I don't think I can get into any kind of trouble. Um, <laughs> I know quite a bit about the behind the scenes of this Jimmy Broadbent no. um, Brit car Praga deal. But yeah, you're right. He has amassed a, a good amount of personal backing from yeah and that's i'm streaming. guessing i'm guessing and I'm, he also yeah. um has quite a lot of clout in terms of marketing appeal to um motor industry certainly niche manufacturers like praga um as a marketing tool because he you know just one video within 24 hours will have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views on jimmy broadbent's channel so that's excellent marketing um marketing potential and the key thing here is he's not a bad sim driver He's, he's actually quicker than most people probably think. And he's also done a reasonable amount of real world track days. And, you know, he's he does Club 100 uh, karting. So he's not a complete novice to the real world either. So he's not going to be blown away when he suddenly experiences G-Force because he's done fast enough karts to, to kind of be used to that. And the final part of this is that club racing around the world, uh, the UK included, there is a very accessible in terms of speed middle of the grid to most people the front of the grid is always very very fast people who you know you need to be extremely good to beat them but if you're in a competitive car and you've done a load of sim experience you've done lots of sim practice at a high level and you've uh, you know he's been racing against formula one drivers and things on the f1 competition he's done lots of club 100 he's obviously not rubbish you can reasonably easily jump into something like brick car and and look very decent in the middle okay. of the field. So I'll be surprised if he doesn't do a really good job and, and get a lot of marketing from it. So I'll be just completely clear that my speculation on how the brick card deal may have come about, that was all just me completely guessing. I have zero inside knowledge and I don't think Brad has said anything either. So I just wanted to be clear in case it looked like I was insinuating, uh, alluding to some facts or trying to get Brad con- to confirm something I knew. I, I didn't know anything. Uh, but certainly, like, for me, I don't need to go and win a series. If I'm going to join a series, even a karting series, like, just getting up into the midfield is it's probably, you know, it's probably enough for me to have a good day out. Um, and this isn't really anything to do with anything, but we have not had a lot of karting, obviously, in the last year because of the global pandemic. And um, do you, in that time, I've done loads of sim racing. Do you think I'm going to be any better in a kart? When I get when I get back in a cart, given the amount of rig time I've had, 
I think the one thing you can say is you're going to be better than you would have been if you hadn't been doing right. sim racing. There we so go. So I don't know whether you'll yeah. be better than you would have been if you'd been regularly karting mm. or doing as much as you would have normally done, but you certainly will have lost less sharpness than someone who's done no sim driving at all. And you've been you've been doing more complicated things than you would do in a, in a kart. So when you go rental karting, I think what you'll find now is having done loads of Formula 3 and Formula Renault and race against loads of people with lots of damage and different tracks, I think you might jump in a kart and find it maybe slightly easier because there's just a lot less going on. You're feeling more, so you've got more mm. information to use. That's true. You don't have to change gear. You've got no suspension to worry about, much less weight transfer, no damage, and it's just generally a bit easier to drive around without crashing or... or breaking anything so you might find it a bit easier what might have a bigger effect is the fact that we've been sitting here talking about understeer and where the grip is and break points and turn ins and stuff like that and i'm sure all that stuff will be applicable as well uh the next episode of mist apex iRacing we will specifically address this question but i'll read the email first and then it's something to think about because it is thomas thomas van cronenberg uh, who I can't I can't say Cronenberg without thinking of Rick and Morty anymore. <laughs> Curse it. But Thomas Van Cronenberg has said, uh, Hi, Richard. First of all, thank you for making great content about F1 and now also about iRacing. Thanks to you, I've started iRacing in VR using a G2. Oh, well done. The G2, who makes that? HP. HP G2. And that's like about level with the Vive index that you use, isn't it? But it's newer. I mean, it, it's level with the Valve index if you just care about... Um resolution and you totally don't care about uh field of view or refresh rate no there's like this um i think they're very very similar headsets okay. in terms of the hardware like what they look like what they feel but and apart- one has better field of view and refresh rate one has better resolution right okay and apparently you can't get hold of a g2 anyway for love or, or money so he switched from project cars 2 which is console i think i'm loving it my wallet doesn't but screw my wallet uh Really appreciate all your rookie questions to Brad Philpott. They are rookie questions. And he is great in explaining complicated things in an understandable way. Yes, I don't have him on this or Mr. Apex for his looks, believe me. Anyway, enough feathers up your asses. I've never heard that. Enough feathers up your asses, Brad. Uh, The question that we will answer next week is, uh, do you guys use any kind of driving analyzer, driving school like VRS? Uh, If so, yes. Uh, Is it useful to use those... Uh, services and is it good between amateurs or better for a professional um there we go uh he thinks it's an interesting topic which has not been discussed on the podcast yet and i think that will be a brilliant one to pick up with next week uh if you want to follow brad's stream which is just getting better and better the way you've got everything set up and um the fact that you can race and communicate what you're doing is a testament to what a good communicator you are and that is one honestly not just putting feathers up your asses uh it, it is one of the best eye racing person streams to watch you're not doing anything crazy you're not throwing controllers at the wall you're just calmly explaining to everybody what you're doing and uh, it shows how much extra capacity you've got while racing to be able to answer questions and do all that stuff oh so were you asking me what the stream was i was just i was just enjoying the compliments uh, is just search for my name, Bradley Philpot, on uh, YouTube, or Brad Philpot, or Brad Dude Two K. Sorry, I've known you long enough that I was expecting that after a bunch of compliments, you were just going to agree with my compliments and just go, "Yes, you're how correct, how correct of you, observant." I was just nodding along. Yeah, just nodding along. Um, you can follow the show at iRacing Podcast, and you can follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Uh, I've got a music show on Spotify. 
So if you're a Spotify customer, you can get music there. Spanners 90s Radio. I reminisce about stories from my life or topics of the day and play some banging 90s tunes. Brad, you're too young for 90s tunes. You wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, or you can catch us on Missed Apex F1, of which Brad is also a part, and uh, subscribe to this podcast too. And uh, we will have more expert advice from Bradley Philpott. We'll get Matt and Kyle and Alex Van Jean and all sorts of characters on here and, and Dorian again to talk about iRacing from a hobbyist point of view. We're not going to really cover the major series. We're just going to talk about how you can get happier, wiser and faster. Until we see you next time, work hard, be kind and have fun. This is Mist Apex iRacing Podcast. you like how I went all old-timey there? This is the iRacing Podcast. Yes. Like olden-day right. broadcasters. That's the tool I've got in my box. That was an interesting chat. I enjoyed yeah. that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.